This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be five-hour energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. Five-hour energy, energy on the go. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Today, I am, however, pleased to be joined by Tony East. Um, he is a writer for NBA Math, but you can also find him all over uh, <laughs> the other place. He co-hosts the Locked On Pacers podcast. He's a co-expert for eight points nine seconds, and he's also a writer at Def Pen Hoops. And he covers the Indiana Pacers for the West Indianapolis community news so he is you can find him all over the place on um, NBA Twitter before we get started today I just want to remind everyone to please rate review and subscribe um, to us on I five hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves it's delicious energizing and comes in three amazing flavors with zero sugar and four calories it fits your life with its compact size and portability it goes where you go to the campsite the hiking trail the beach without weighing you down five hour tea caffeine from green tea leaves release your natural sight from the makers of five hour energy for more information visit fivehourenergy.com tunes we really appreciate uh, the ratings and the feedback it, it does a lot for us both for andy's ego and for our exposure collectively um so if you can take the 10 15 seconds out of your day to search hardwood knocks on itunes and then give us a rating a review and subscribe we will love you forever uh and with that said we are going to talk about a bunch of stuff today um there's clippers rockets kerfuffle crap to get to we're going to give our midseason nba awards picks i have been uh, dubbed to deliver Andy's on behalf of him. We're also going to talk about some trade deadline stuff. But first, how are you doing tonight, Tony? I am doing well. I enjoyed waking. I uh, went to bed after the Pacers game at about twelve fifteen, and I woke up to uh, an incredible amount of tweets about the, as you called, kerfuffle. Yeah, it was. Uh, if you went to bed early, I considered it because I am still battling walking pneumonia. Um, but I'm glad that I didn't because it was. It was just the stupidest shit show that I've ever watched. It was just, it was hysterical. It was just everything, and I, I, I like just you know Mike D'Antoni and Blake Griffin getting into it. 
Blake Griffin throwing the ball off of Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza ripping Blake Griffin's tights, Chris Paul just getting involved with stuff. You kind of knew the tensions would be there. Chris Paul's first return to the Staples Center is a member of the Rockets. The Clippers also have like two-thirds of last season's Rockets roster on theirs. That's that's a hyperbolization, but... So it, it was interesting, but I just – it was ridiculous after the fact that, like, uh, you're giving, like, these interviews. And as these players are giving interviews, information is trickling out about how players went um, to the Clippers' uh, uh, locker room. And my favorite part was Chris Paul just basically demurring when it came to uh, talking to reporters about the significance of a loss in January and whether this meant anything and blah, 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 blah. And then we get the report from Woj that he, like, had the secret entrance to the Clippers' locker room. So I, I just found that absolutely hysterical. Yeah, that was uh, one of my favorite parts is that is that he led it. I liked all – I think it was uh, Damian Trillard's tweet that was, like, Chris Paul finally leading people anywhere. It's funny, but – uh yeah, it was funny that he had the the back entryways into the locker room. But the funniest part to me, far and away, was was Clint Capella going to the front door, and even if he was a decoy or not, the fact that he like knocked and they slammed the door in his face was it, that's just so funny to me. Yeah, and it was just like I I just I don't even understand it as the dog is barking in the background, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, I just the the entire thing was was just such such a mess and I kind of loved it I don't think there's anything serious to be gleaned from it and I, I like if people are gonna have any like hot takes for it I like I don't even know it but even the the epitome of it was Austin Rivers being at the forefront of it you have a bunch of these guys in general that just didn't play during the game and yet they're just at the the center of everything and I'm super excited to see these two teams play again. I think it's in late February, and it's back at the Staples Center. So that'll be fun to watch because they're not like – I mean, the Rockets are a good team, but the Clippers, if they make the playoffs, are going to get destroyed in the first round. And there's just – there's nothing really there, but it would be – it just seems like there's a hatred, mutual hatred there because Chris Paul left. Austin Rivers said all that stuff in the SI.com piece earlier in the season that was uh, very complimentary of Blake. So it, it was just – it was great. Yeah, and it's funny that like this this happened at all because I would just thought that Chris Paul being such a rigid and regimented guy would be like, all right, let's just get in and get out of L.A. and not deal with any of it. But then he was the one who got all emotional, and then there was the report of like him and James Harden fighting, which really threw another wrinkle in it because, of course, Chris Paul would have to fight James Harden on a night like this when they stormed a locker room. And there were just so many layers to it when it all was happening that that you know I missed it like live but reading it this morning as I laid in bed I was smiling so much just like I felt like I was there with everyone's reactions what was your favorite part of the ridiculousness <laughs> besides Clint Capella I'm not sure well my favorite favorite part was uh the first line of Woj's piece this morning says in the aftermath of a cantankerous loss the Houston <laughs> Rock- cantankerous is uh is quite the word but yeah I I don't know it, there was a lot of funny parts for me to layer in I think the grouping of players being Gerald Green, Ariza, Harden, and Chris Paul. So the the State Farm crew plus randomly Gerald Green makes it really <laughs> funny to me. And I don't know. It, it's, it's all hilarious. And the Clippers actually handled it pretty well. So nothing really funny from them except for Blake's tweet of the, the Joker causing the chaos. I, I think <clears throat> the Gerald Green part was funny. And especially after the fact, all the players are getting into it. But meanwhile, Gerald Green's like upset with the refs. And yeah. <laughs> like, that was one of my favorite parts. My absolute favorite part, though, um, was without question just seeing that. I don't know if you watched the video of Trevor Ariza ripping Blake Griffin's tights. That was yeah. just like – it was like, dude, let go. What are you trying to do at this point? 
and it was just so funny. So, again, it was just so much stuff. And then the the cherry on top of all this is Stephen A. Smith of, from ESPN reporting today that DeAndre Jordan wants to be traded to the Rockets. And that's like, I mean, one, I don't know if I posted a gif of this on Twitter, but he was one of the people that was like rooting in Trevor Reese's face when Montrez Harrell shut him down at some point during the middle of the game. Like Austin Rivers went crazy. Patrick Beverly went crazy. Sam Decker went crazy. Sam Decker actually, actually quote tweeted my tweet, which was like probably another <laughs> troll job from him. So I, it was just like that. That was just completely not random because there was the rumor. Um, I believe it was the Tim McMahon piece in ESPN.com that the Rockets had talked to the Clippers about a DJ Capella swap last year. But to have this come out now that like D- DJ wants to what, just switch sides of this whole thing when he was he seemed like he was into it for the Clippers last night. Like like that was just a, another funny offshoot of it. Yeah, and. It'd be interesting to know the timing of of DJ asking that because if it was after the game or something like that, you know, that would be hilarious. But we don't know the extent of the talks last year to know how how much he was involved in it versus the team just trying to sell off their assets. It seems like the Clippers are always in a state of should we pivot or not, but they never actually do it. And so I'm uh, I'm skeptical if they'll actually trade him. Uh, actual basketball wise, is he even that much better than Clint Capella to make it worth it? Is a good question too. He's not. He's probably <laughs> he's not better than Clint Capella is younger. He's going to he's cheaper right now and i don't think he's i don't think he would cost more in restricted free agency like i don't know what the rockets are going to pay him but dj might not end up costing that much once he goes into unrestricted free agency it would be well the the quick aside would be it'd be great if he did make the trade request last night because while chris paul was sneaking into the clippers locker room he snuck into like the rockets locker room was asking mike <laughs> d'antoni like yo get me over here um so but the only thing that would make sense for me from the Rockets' perspective is if they were getting rid of Ryan Anderson in the deal. It was, like The trade basically would have to be Clint Capella and Ryan Anderson for DJ, and the Clippers can swing it as, all right, Ryan Anderson's expensive, but there's only two years on his deal after this one. We'll bring him off the bench. Um, and then Clint Capella shouldn't be too expensive this summer, and he's he's younger, and he does basically um, a lot of the same stuff that DeAndre Jordan does. He might be a little bit better guarding in space if he's worse um, in the post uh, defensive-wise. So maybe they can justify it that way, and then the Rockets get to say, well, you know, DJ's expiring. We got off of Brian Anderson's money, and then all of a sudden they could become players on the free agency market a little bit easier if they wanted to by re- renouncing DJ, which is a lot different than still trying to find a home for Ryan Anderson. Yeah, and that is definitely true. But to me, it's like, is trading away Ryan Anderson worth the risk of you lose DeAndre for nothing versus if you have Capella, you are guaranteed to keep him, you know, if you want to, like restricted free agency versus unrestricted there. And, he, and the difference in player is not that much that I would say that that is worth it. And especially with DJ being on the wrong side, well, maybe not the wrong side of his prime, but at the apex or about to be on the downswing, you know, who knows how effective he'll be on his next deal versus Capella, who has only even been really a high-end rotation player for like two years. You know you're going to get more out of him. It just seems like if they wouldn't, like I would not personally trade Capella, and it seems like the Rockets and Daryl Moore are smart enough to not do that either, but... I mean, DeAndre does raise them up a little bit this year, I guess, and he would fit so well. We've already seen him fit well next to Chris Paul, and you know he'd fit well with Harden, too, on the pick and anything. So, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's just it, it, 
the future of the Rockets is also something to think about. Well, then they're all of a sudden just saying, hey, can we win a title as the Clippers, but with James Harden instead of Blake Griffin? <laughs> yeah. So it's just, I don't, I don't like that aspect of it is weird. They would be switchier than the Clippers ever were, of course. You mentioned this, though, before the pod. Maybe if you commit to this and you go after DJ, were you the Rockets? Maybe that's the impetus behind uh, a Chris Paul-like trade or a soap opera for LeBron James this summer when we're talking about his free agency and his player option. Yeah, the only chance would be LeBron opting in because if he opts out and you're trying to sign him, you'd have to renounce Chris Paul. And then, I mean, I guess Chris Paul would finally take could finally take a discount to you know win a title or whatever. But I think it's easier if, if they do what they did for Chris Paul last summer, where they they trade for him right before he opts in, so they can you know squeeze in some extra you know guys as bird rights and cap holds just so they can have more guys in their roster. And that would apply to both DeAndre and Chris Paul and Click Capella. So it's really the decision of what they could do. But it'd be a lot harder to have enough to trade for LeBron in late June if they didn't have Capella. So, that uh, is also it, true. So it, it's kind of like they would have to know that that's even a possibility to even think of something like that. And I, there's no way. I don't think anyone knows what LeBron's doing. So that's really tough to say. But you know, I think Capella would be an, an interesting piece for the Cavs to pick up for LeBron if they were able to – to trade him away, you know, Capella, Anderson, Zuki, who else, who else is good and young on the Rockets? Uh, you Nobody know, Trevor Reese is expiring. <laughs> Trevor Reese is expiring, I guess. And then, like, every first the Rockets have for LeBron, maybe. I don't know. If they know he's leaving. The LeBron Houston stuff has always been weird because they would – if you can't sign him in free agents. If you want to carry Chris Paul's, like, full cap hold and you're planning on giving him the max or close to the max, you literally have to gut your roster of everyone except James Harden and maybe Clint Capella's cap hold. And that's not – I don't even think that's enough. I did the math. Andy and I had done a pod on this earlier when another LeBron Rockets rumor surfaced. Your idea would be pretty much the only pathway to him getting to Houston, and he would – we know he's not taking a pay cut. I don't know why Chris Paul would take a pay cut after opting in and effectively taking a pay cut because he could have signed for more this year. So that seems like it would be the only realistic route to to get LeBron, and you're right. By trading Capella now, they're kind of compromising – whatever sign-and-trade package they could offer Cleveland. And it doesn't. It seems kind of far-fetched that even that would happen. At the same time, uh, there are a lot of people that think even if LeBron leaves, that the Cavaliers would still try and you know keep Isaiah Thomas. They'll have Kevin Love, and they could just try and make some noise in the East. And uh, taking on someone like Capella or even Anderson or Eric Gordon as part of a deal like that would sort of fit with that motif. Yeah, and like if it's... Say it's June, whatever, 20, whatever, two days after the draft, and LeBron says to Kobe Altman, hey, like, I'm leaving. And then Daryl Morey calls five seconds later and says, I'll give you Capella, Ryan Anderson, Trevor Reza, Juki, and six first-round pit, whatever, for him right now. And I would do that, you know? Like, now you have – you can re-sign Thomas and Ariza, and you have, like, a quality starting group again next year. So it's not the worst – like, it's not the worst backup plan. It's just not a real plan, I don't think. <laughs> no. So um, I, I don't think there's going to be any profound, like, offshoots from this thing other than a random, like, Rockets-Clippers rivalry. But it would be—the only thing I'll say, I in a vacuum and being objectively and what would make the Rockets maybe better this year but definitely better long-term, they should not trade Capella in a deal for DeAndre Jordan. But just for, like, hysterics purposes, I would love to see such a deal happen, <laughs> bef- like, before the trade deadline. And then these two have to play each other again this season so I, I will root for chaos in that sense i do like chaos and i know uh rob perez worldwide wild likes chaos too so we can all root for chaos uh, i'm there um so since we've kind of got that wrapped up we're gonna move on to our mid-season awards the nba's like kind of just sort of past its halfway point so this is sort of a 
good time to reflect and then see where we're at with these. Um, the races do not seem – normally there's like a bunch of them I feel like that are fluid. And this year, as of now, I feel like there's really only one or two uh, that are super fluid. Um, kind of the no-brainer one for me. I'm, I'm going to start – I'll start with Rookie of the Year and then we'll vacillate from there. I'll let you pick the next one. It's still Ben Simmons for me. And I know uh, Donovan Mitchell has gained a lot of traction here. But Ben Simmons has basically been doing what he does all year. I'm concerned about the minutes he plays without Joel Embiid and how the Sixers look there. But that's true of everybody on the Sixers. And we have to remember that Simmons is still a rookie. Um, the fact that he can still essentially get to the rim at will and, and is an okay finisher there. He's shooting 74% inside three feet, which is great. But there are times where you look like he makes layups more difficult than they should be. Uh, that he does all this without having a real jumper. Basically, all of his three-point attempts have been heaves this year, like those just last resort shots that probably shouldn't even be factored into a shooting percentage. Uh, you look at his passing for me, too. He's already one of the best passers in the game. He's providing some value as a rebounder, though his rebounding rate has kind of been on the decline. It's just it's an entire season's body of work, and uh, through his, he's played almost 40 games thus far. The numbers are just historical, not just for a rookie, but but for a guy in general, we don't see these people come in and put up 17, uh, 17 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. And defensively, I would probably give him more credit than most people would. He gets caught out of position a lot, but he really knows how to use his length already. And it's not easy for someone like him. He's he's actually playing point guard, and he's been matched up with point guards on defense. But you've seen him defend bigger players on defense as well. He can block some shots. He can be used as a rim protector. And he's one of those guys who legitimately profiles as someone who's going to defend all five positions. And even though we're looking at just this season, it's hard to like kind of remove his ceiling from the equation. And the, the last thing I'll say on it, and I think this might be the biggest argument against Donovan Mitchell, Andy Bailey agrees with me. His pick was also <laughs> Ben Simmons. Dang. Well, that stinks because my pick is Donovan Mitchell. So I, I kind of thought I would have Andy's blessing here, but I don't. Um, but I, I, I will concede that recency bias and a, a kind of straw man argument are sort of the basis here for me because this December for Donovan Mitchell was like unbelievable. Like I, if he played that way the whole season, he'd be in a lock for an all-star. He had 23 points a game on 61.1% true shooting, 36% from three, 88% from the line, 50% from the field overall. And he just – I watched him, especially last night against the Pacers. He could just get by anyone whenever he wants. He's a pretty long and good wing defender for a rookie. And the shot falling for him is huge. He had 23 steals in the month of December. He had 50 assists. He, he, he can dish the rock now. He's, he's You know, I, I saw him lock down a few guys on a few – his defense is not nearly as good as Simmons' is, is to me. But the, scoring 23 points on that level of efficiency is, is crazy for a rookie. And the problem is – you know, I'm I'm saying this like this. If this December is what he is, he's my rookie of the year. But he kind of stunk for the first two months of the season, and that's where the straw man part comes in. Because if he had played this level the whole year, he'd like I said, he'd be a lock for me for rookie of the year. But he didn't. But that month to me proved that he is so impactful and can be so impactful. And I think he will keep it up for the rest of the year. So far in January, he has 140 points in six games, which is 25 points a game. So I am a very much a believer that he can keep it up, and I think if he, you know, finishes the season over 20 points a game, he's already up to 19 now. Then I don't, I don't see how Simmons beats him, just because of a recency bias and b. I think Simmons is kind of like a stale choice to people already somehow, which For is sure. weird. But yeah, I agree with you and everything you said. Simmons has been so impactful in literally every aspect of the game, and 
He has so many cerebral skills that take guys whole careers to develop. Some of them still don't have his passing vision and things like that. So I wouldn't be upset with either choice, but I, I, uh, I might go with the Spider-Man. It, and one thing that would really help him in usurping Simmons, not just, I guess, for me, um, but just overall, is if you continue to give him the keys to the offense independent of Ricky Rubio. Because he's been, like, Ricky Rubio yes. has just been this, like, callous uh, on everyone's net ratings when, when you look at the Jazz's splits. And when Donovan Mitchell, he's basically split his minutes with and without Rubio this season. 657 minutes with Rubio, 629 without. When he plays with Rubio, the Jazz post a 102.5 offensive rating, and that's akin to what the Phoenix Suns are posting right now. When he when he plays without Ricky Rubio, the Jazz are at 107 net rating, which is very firmly in the top 10, right at what the Los Angeles Clippers slash Milwaukee Bucks slash Denver Nuggets are kind of in that range um, right now. And to have a rookie who has that sort of a profound impact on your offense when they are trying to develop him as not just a primary ball handler and scorer, but a primary distributor, and that's not something he was necessarily billed as coming in. Uh, that's a big deal for him. So if we're looking down the line and should Rudy Gobert come back and the Jazz, maybe they find out that they're playing themselves back into the postseason conversation and Quinn Snyder becomes more disenchanted with Ricky Rubio and all of a sudden we see Donovan Mitchell getting even more minutes uh, independent of Rubio, that would be huge for his case because that's not even something that, again, the roster differences uh, between Philly and and Utah, they are stark. And Philly is very shallow. They just don't have wings coming off the bench that that are proven. But Ben Simmons has not really shown that he can operate without Joel Embiid. When he plays with Joel Embiid, the Sixers, 111 offensive rating. When Joel Embiid steps off, 99.1 offensive rating so like that's incredibly bad it'd be the worst offensive rating in the league worse than the kings so uh, that could matter i don't know how many voters will look that deep into it but i you know making a case for joel Embiid being so valuable for the Sixers here as i'm doing this but if mitchell continues to get that run without rubio and maybe if the jazz play themselves into the playoff conversation and hey maybe if the sixers play themselves out of the eastern conference playoff picture because they're not even guaranteed a playoff spot right right now which is why i'm convinced they should be like miniature buyers at the trade deadline they're blowing late game leads left and right if the playoffs started today they would fall behind the detroit pistons they'll they'll have no problem holding off the knicks or hornets who are at uh 10 and 11 respectively but to catch a team like the pistons or the pacers or the bucks could be tough so those are things that might work in Mitchell's favor. So where I probably said a month or two ago that, that like let's just end this race now. I do kind of think that there is still some wiggle room left for Mitchell to um, actually be the pick uh, of the majority or close to. It. And I don't think it's ridiculous that you picked him. I just looking at Simmons's entire body of work all year. I have to take that into account. Yeah, and and what's going to end up happening in a month. I personally would have Ben Simmons as an all-star, and I would not have Donovan Mitchell as an all-star just because of different co- – well, they're in different conferences. That's unrelated. But I think that's going to propel him a lot too. Just like, look, this is the only rookie who made the all-star game. Like, he's got to be rookie of the year. Yeah, so um, th- that'll be super interesting to watch if it does get hot. Uh, Jason Tatum will probably get some residual Ugh. love here. Uh, you're not a fan of Jason. I really like Jason Tatum. No, I, no I, I, I love Jason Tatum. It's ridiculous to me that a play finisher – gets the kind of love that these initiators and creators and cerebral players are getting 
he he does have more freedom in the Celtics' offense now, though. He's he's taking a little bit more pull-ups, looks more comfortable operating off the dribble, I'll say that. And he's I'm probably more enamored with him just because I I didn't like expect him to be really I'm not gonna say good at all, but just he's been sensational and he's like he proved I did not I wasn't even close to like this high on him. And so maybe that's one of the reasons I'm still sort of infatuated with what he's doing. And he's been better defensively than I expected. A lot of that is you get to play alongside Al Horford and Jalen Brown, it matters. But during his solo minutes with the Celtics that he's gotten without Irving or Brown or Horford, the Celtics' identity has been very firmly um, of the defensive variety, which is a testament to him, but also the players they have. He's also been slashing, though, great numbers in those situations. A limited sample, and the offense isn't great overall, but to be able to create offense from scratch at this level, as we're seeing with Donovan Mitchell, they don't ask Tatum to do it as much, but I think he's shown that he's capable of doing it now. Yeah, and nothing against Tatum's stats at all. It's just a lot of them are predicated on, like, look at this great set that gives you an open corner right. three. or Look at Kyrie Irving sauce up the defense and carve up a shot for you. Like, I've seen him do the off-the-dribble good shots, and I know he's he's pretty good at those, especially for his age already, not to make the he's only 19 joke, but it, it, it's true. Every, it, it's impressive how good he is at his age. But a lot of what he does, like you just said, especially on offense, is predicated on on other guys and and Steven's system is perfect for him and that doesn't take away from him it it makes him look better so that's great for him but it, you know to me he he hasn't shown as much as Mitchell or Simmons has in terms of like talent he's he's as impactful as those guys but not as talented if that makes sense no that totally makes sense i hear you um where did you want to go next uh i think the next hardest one and fluid one would be defensive player of the year for me yeah i agree with you who was your pick Mine is Joel Embiid, who you referenced earlier. Um, yeah, I guess before you get going, uh, my pick was Embiid as well, and so was awesome. Andy's. So all three wow. of us. Look at us in lockstep at the Less MPL. fluid than I thought there. Okay. Well, you know what helps his case like a lot is the fact that um, Gobert is injured. Kawhi Leonard's been injured. Yeah. Uh, this was pointed out on the Dunked On podcast, and I hadn't really given it much thought. But if you want to gravitate towards like Robertson or George, that's kind of fine. But they like both sort of shape shift defending the best player. Like they swap like against the other team. So how do you pick someone who doesn't necessarily consistently uh, have to defend the best player, especially when you're talking about a, a wing? talent so like all those sort of anecdotal uh tidbits really do help his case and uh, just looking at the Sixers numbers though it's like it's night and day with with and without him and he's still one of the best rim protectors he's a little bit better switching than people really give him credit for and I I'm I'm curious to see how much him not playing um both nights of back-to-backs or him just missing some time overall or it taking a little bit longer for him to play high volume minutes if, if people are going to let that obscure their vision or does the fact that the Sixers really aren't an elite uh defensive team overall like color people's votes they're 17th in points allowed per 100 possessions right now um or 16th tied with the New York Knicks they're right in that area and w- you don't see that like that's not where oh I'm actually looking at offensive rating so I apologize they're sixth in defensive rating I thought that was very low so they are kind of elite um but are people still going to go with uh Draymond Green the Thunder are better than expected so are they are, are you going to see more votes go to George or, or Robertson so I'm very interested to see how this sort of turns out well you have the defensive ratings in front of you what would be a 106.4 in the league 106.4 would be 18th, the same as the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have been okay. very good right. defensively. Yes. 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 
So that is the Sixers without Embiid. With him, it is 100.2, and I wrote an article about why I think he's Defensive Player of the Year like a week ago, and it was in the 99s. So apparently, they, I think against the Celtics, actually, that climbed up a little bit. But yeah, they're just so much better when he's out there, and he has like... Like, I remember that being his big thing when he was coming out of Kansas was you, if there's a big man who can run the court like a guard, you have to pick him in the top whatever, and he can do that. And now you see it now on the defensive end, especially when he switches, he can keep up with guys. In the mid-range, he shuffles out at you perfectly to either force you to, to pass or shoot an impossible shot. And he's so impactful and makes things happen or makes, you know, good things that normally happen not happen. And like you said, there's not a lot of other good candidates. I mean, maybe Draymond, my number two would have been Paul George, but, you know, Draymond two or Draymond as well could also be up there. But, but Embiid's just been better than all of them to me. Oh, yeah. I don't even think I don't even think it's particularly close with with Draymond Green. I just ha- I mean, like he's been good. But with the way they have are kind of using Kevin Durant, who does not deserve defensive player of the year. Level. Agreed. Let's not just, even close. Let's just get that out of the way. But his job, Draymond Green's job is made easier by him. Um, as being Golden State's primary shot blocker or rim protector a lot of times, and you have a lot of other talent around you. Joel Embiid doesn't have that. And one of my favorite things to like kind of look at is so you look at the Sixers' most used starting lineup right now, um, and so J.J. Redick, Ben Simmons, Robert Covington, and Dario Sarge. Like, those probably make up the Sixers' next best four players after Embiid, I'd say. So when they play with Embiid, a defensive rating of 97.2. Without him, they're at 111. And their overall net rating, by the way, this is why Joel Embiid is just ridiculous for the Sixers. Uh, those four starters, when they play with Embiid, plus 17.6 per 100 possessions. Without him, minus 9.1. He's just so important to what the Sixers do overall, but particularly defensively. And I don't, you know, I'm trying to think of where I would go after him. You said you might go to George at number two. Like, maybe Al Horford deserves some kind yeah. of love here as well. But I just... Like his case for defensive player of the year might be stronger than I thought because the cases elsewhere are are so much weaker. You look at I'm not the um, I'm I'm always skeptical of the catch all me- metrics and I never try to use them to define everything and that includes NBA math total points added. But Joel Embiid ranks sixth in the league in defensive real plus minus according to ESPN and all the guys in front of him are. Uh, so I'll name them. You have five, Salah Mejri, four is Andre Robertson, three is Aaron Baines, two is David West, and one is Hassan Whiteside. You're looking at four of those five guys are basically lower volume guys. Uh, Andre Roberson plays the most minutes at 26.9. Embiid is at 31.3. He's the only one of those guys averaging more than 30 minutes per game. Hassan Whiteside is at 25.5 minutes, which I guess is fine, but he's only played in 25 games thus far because he's been injured as well. And the Heat, you know, they don't they don't necessarily he doesn't make or break a defense the way that Joel Embiid does. Robertson probably comes closer to doing that. So his case is probably it's not airtight because this is one of the most subjective awards, but it's probably stronger than I think most people realize when you look at the field. Yeah, and with Whiteside at one, the way D- defensive RPM works is it, com- it part of it's comparing it to your backups, right? And Bam is a is a rookie center. He's not a good defensive player, so Whiteside looks awesome when compared to you know, the Heat's second unit defensive center. So I understand all that completely. And, yeah, like Roberson and George, you, that's a good point that I'd never thought of, like you said earlier, that they, they do switch, uh, you know, the main assignment, and that does take away from them. But my thing with George would be, you like you said, no end-all, be-all stats, but he's just – the steals and the deflections just are another level for him. So even when he's on the main guy, he, you know, fades off and tips the pass or takes it and leads a break. And I think, like, 80% – 
of their um, fast break points every game come when George plays and he only plays whatever 70-ish percent of the game. So, you know, he, he makes it happen for them offensively because of his good defense, and that's why I'd put him over Roberson for sure. So I think he's my number two guy, but Roberson being that high up is interesting to me because of him playing with George. Um, and I think you just look at it, and I actually don't have the numbers in front of me right now, which shame on me, obviously. But um, the percentage of shots that are coming closer to the baskets when Embiid are on the floor with the Sixers are just night and day, too. And he's like that actual deterrent just by being on the floor where Stephen Curry transforms the Warriors just by being on the floor because you have to account for the concept of him. It's not actually what he's doing. It's the concept of him, and Embiid has become the same way on the defensive end. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I just it's like I when they played the Thunder in that crazy game a couple weeks ago, I saw Raymond Felton drive in, and like no one was under the basket, and I thought he was going to score, and Raymond Felton just like jumps back 13 feet, fade away over Embiid, completely clunked it, and I was like, man, he's just scared of him down there, and you know that kind of play too is something that you can't really measure in the box score besides like he made a guy miss, but that's a huge play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we're back to me. I'm going to move on to. Uh, something that's probably a little bit easier, but there, there, there are a couple candidates. Six man of the year. Um, both Andy and I, we've, we, I'm just going to spoiler alert. We're on the same page on every award except for executive of the year. So I don't even know what the point is of delivering both of our <laughs> opinions. Um, but we both picked Lou Williams, and I'm typically reluctant to go with like the volume scorer guy, but like Lou Williams has just been absolutely absurd. And the only thing to me that could really, um, prevent him from winning this award when he's averaging 23.3 points per game with a true shooting percentage above 61 taking so many threes he's been super efficient uh in isolation he's been a viable pick and roll ball handler i mean he's averaging 1.3 points per isolation possession good lord like it's just i and he's turning the ball over barely eight percent of the time in those in those situations so unless the Clippers all of a sudden decide to to start him like and they are starting him I think I believe he started his past three games or something like that and he started 12 of 42 so if that number creeps up um and with Danilo Gallinari being injured with the injury to Austin Rivers like it could honestly happen Patrick Beverly is not available either uh he'll be removed from the equation uh, it might al- it might almost help him to get traded by the trade deadline because I don't know that he would go to a team that would start him. But I, for me, he's just right now the clear-cut pick. So to me, it was uh, when I was looking this up, I was like, okay, it's a two-man race, right? It's either Lou or Tyreek Evans. But Tyreek Evans, last yesterday, I believe, on MLK Day, started for the Grizzlies and now has started over half their games. So he is ineligible for the award anyway, the right? The Grizzlies so- are ruining everything. This <laughs> so Tyreek... Uh, was a, the favorite before Lou's recent search, but now it's it's Lou to me as well. Like you said, 61% true shooting on 23 points a game is crazy. He kept the Clippers afloat without Blake, which is funny because he started in those games. But when he does come off the bench, he still has that kind of impact. And, you know, with Tyreek, his, his hope now is that, and we'll talk about this later, is that he gets traded to a team that does bring him off the bench, and then his starts go down below 50% again because 19.6 points per game on 57% true shooting – and, you know, a resurgent 40% from three. He's been getting to the rim. He's, like, literally the only offense on the Grizzlies since Marc Gasol apparently forgot how to play a lot of basketball this year. So, you know, Tyreek – and Tyreek has a 114 offensive rating and a 109 defensive rating. Like, who would have seen him surge onto the scene? And, and his offensive rating's up 15 points over last year. Like, he, he has been huge for the Grizz. But, yes, you – for the reasons you have previously described, Lou Williams is clearly the sixth man of the year to me. Um And – 
it's so I guess the one question I want to get to first before we continue with Williams, who did you have for this field seemed like it could have included so many people at the beginning of the year. My my off season pick was Will Barton, which hasn't looked uh it didn't look bad and it probably still doesn't look terrible, but one Lou Williams puts it to shame and Will Barton's kind of has his struggles over the past couple weeks in Denver. Uh did you have like an inkling as to who was gonna enter this conversation this year before the season started? I kinda thought Malcolm Brogdon could have been a guy that could get it. But he has barely played and was kind of a fluky rookie of the year, and I kind of missed that one. Eric Gordon was obviously a guy that could be in it, but he started too many games in the light of so many Rockets injuries. But it was, I didn't have a ton of, of inklings here. It's kind of a harder reward to predict because outside of Lou, it's just kind of random every year. And Iguodala is usually like a, a quality pick, but he's been a lot worse this year than last year too. A lot of people had him um, as a well, I guess I wouldn't call it dark horse, but he's, uh, a lot of people did pick him before the year. Lou Williams has just been, like, amazing. And he's, you know, he, he's shouldering <laughs> a huge load for the Clippers' offense now because because of their, um, I guess, their sudden dearth of, of playmaking. And they weren't particularly deep there to begin with. Patrick Beverly is a very good player. He's not a good playmaker. Austin Rivers is just is still all kinds of overrated. The Austin Rivers is a good basketball player, think pieces from last season. Like, I, I honestly vomited at those. Um, a little bit like the Clippers probably would have been better off trying to get his contract to Atlanta other than Jamal Crawford's is is my hot take and probably uh, over exaggerating there but this stat continues to blow my mind so just to put Lou Williams's efficiency in isolation into context 100 players this season have used um, at least 30 isolation possessions Lou Williams is effective a field goal percentage in these situations ranks first 61.8 the next closest James Harden, 59.6. Stephen Curry is third at 58.3. Kyle Kuzma is fourth at 57.6. And Chris Paul is fifth at 56.9. Like, that's just – and I'm just going to go to sixth because I, I want to remind everyone how good Anthony Davis is. He's sixth <laughs> um, in effective field goal percentage in isolation among higher volume guys. Like, that's ridiculous company to be in. And you're Lou Williams. And it would be so Clippers right now. You, I'm sure you saw the report last week late last week from Shams Karina over at Yahoo that the Clippers were talking about extending him. It's on the one hand, they can't, I think they can offer him like four years and 37 million is the most they can or give for, him. Or for 40. Yeah. yeah I believe. Which, yeah. which isn't terrible, but like you're the Clippers and it's just funny that you might be pouncing at the opportunity to pay someone and, uh, through his 35th birthday so that you can continue being a first round stepping stone. But that says that might actually be an argument in favor of how strong Lou Williams' season has been because he has the Clippers wanting to pay money to, to still be bad. <laughs> the Clippers' plan is sign as many exciting players as they can until they get their new stadium approved. I'm convinced. Um, I mean, S- Steve Bomber just wants to be good, and, and you can see it. I don't yeah, think I it's – I, I don't think it's like a oh he he wants to like prove that they're they were more than Chris Paul or something like that like that like I don't even think it's that I think he's a relatively new owner of the NBA he spent what they go for two billion dollars um so he wants to just be good and and he he's clearly obsessed with that so I you know I, I just it's stupid and reckless and they really should be sort of checking themselves uh, on this front and they probably should be trading deandre jordan they should be shopping lou williams rather than looking to resign him but um so the clippers go but but lou williams has been super impressive and something that i'd come across when i was doing this before the podcast earlier today tyreek evans has just been whoever ends up with him at the trade deadline like he's just been super efficient out of the pick and roll this year and that's saying something because the grizzlies are trash uh he is among the 61 players who have run 
150 pick and rolls this season. He is seventh in effective field goal percentage, and that's behind Deion Waiters, Jaron Grant, Victor Oladipo, LeBron, Kyrie, and Steph. And you can essentially remove Dion from that. So it's just like he's been super good. And I hope he kind of ends up on someone's bench because it would be – I do think he would have a case against Lou if he starts less than half his games. Or maybe people just use that, you know, if it ends up being a 60-40 split and Williams hasn't, like he's just more, you know, 70-30, 80-20, uh, maybe they'd gravitate towards him more. But that would be a really fun battle for sixth man of the year if we could pit Tyreek against Lou Williams. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we got to get Tyreek coming off the bench. He's the only guy, I think, with a chance, and he will be one of our trade candidates later because I think I have a pretty good spot for him to, A, get the sixth-man award and, B, help a team. But the Grizzlies have got to be stoked about this because they had no assets, so <laughs> they have to trade Stoked, him. but, like, not stoked because they're not trade. Uh, we'll save it. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that means that Tyreek, here's to him, even though he'd be kind of fun on the Cavaliers, here's to him not ending up there because they would yes, torpedo agreed. his six-man of the year stock. I agree. Agreed. Uh, um, it is back to you. Okay, well, I feel like every award besides executive is easy, so let's just knock some of these easy ones out. Uh, let's go with most improved player, and I know we have the same answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping all three of us have the same answer, and it should just be pointed out that any, that I'm sheepishly delivering this answer because I have claimed, or I did claim at the beginning of the year that he would cool off, and Andy and I both went <laughs> with Victor Oladipo. I'm assuming oh, I should let you know that, that, yes, Victor Oladipo is the very obvious and easy answer here, and I also thought he would cool off, and I watch all their games at least twice and write about them, so... Do not feel bad for thinking that because I did too. I thought it was hilarious when Nate Duncan was calling their games against the Magic. They played like 10 games that he called it the Regression Bowl. And only, <laughs> and only one of the two teams regressed. The, the Pacers are still uh, magically floating in like the sixth spot, I believe, now in the Eastern Conference. They just dominated the Jazz on a back-to-back. And Victor has just been so crazy impactful. They're 0-5 without him and like 24-19 or 24-15 and with them now. He's up to scoring average by nine points while also upping his efficiency and assist numbers and steal numbers and block numbers and rebounding. And, like, the list goes on and on. He And he's making just, like, ridiculously tough shots. It Like, it's just he's shooting 42% on pull-up three-pointers. I was going to say his pull-up threes have been just, like, like earlier in the season – it was one of those shots where he'd take it, and I'd go, ah, oh, dang it, and then he'd make it. And then he'd shoot it again, and I'd go, oh, come on, and then he'd make it. And now I'm like, yeah, all right, a pull-up three. I know what's going in. <laughs> He's been good in isolation. He's been okay as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Uh, the, the Pacers offense, I'm not sure if I talked to you about this, but where you look at um, the Timberwolves' ranking on the offensive efficiency scale, and right, right now they're third. Uh, it's incredible to me that they're third because uh, last time I checked, I believe it was yesterday, they attempted the third lowest percentage of their shots in the league from beyond the arc or uh, at the rim. And, like, their shot profile is just terrible. The Pacers, is though, is not much better. Uh, but when you watch them and with the, the enthusiasm they get going in transition sometimes or just – I'm convinced every time, even still, when DeMantis uh, Sabonis either pops off a screen or slips a screen, like if he's going to stop and pop, it's going to go in when it's a long two or it's a mid-ranger. They, like they're aesthetically fun to watch, and the, the Timberwolves for me are just not. So it's I don't I don't know if you get that because I know you watch a lot of basketball games, but I'm when I watch the Timberwolves, I don't see the third best offensive team in the NBA. When I watch the Pacers, even though I'm a big shot profile guy and I'm not crazy about them, they essentially lead the league in long mid range shots according to Cleeding the Glass. I'm not crazy about that, but I watch them and I'm I'm okay with it. I expect a uh, a change in their shot chart with turnaround be for a while. 
uh, because he is their mid-range guy. He leads the league in mid-range shooting percentage. They pick and pop all the time, and Oladipo has been great at getting him the ball. But we're kind of we're kind of slipping from our answer here. But yeah, their shot profile is odd. John Schumann wrote last summer the one team one stat for the Pacers is that they were top five in three point percentage and bottom five in three point attempts. Well, that is exactly the same thing that's happening this year. Nate McMillan's mo is just don't shoot them unless you're wide open and. Besides Victor Oladipo's pull-ups, they don't really do that that often. They just drive and kick, and if they're not there, they don't shoot it. They're they're quick at moving the ball, and they get easy shots because of it. Uh, and it helps Oladipo for his most improved player case, uh, and you sort of alluded to this at the beginning of your answer, how important he is to what the Pacers are doing. Uh, they're essentially a top-three offensive team when he's on the floor. Uh, that dips to – it's actually still pretty good. If you can score 105 points per 100 possessions uh, without your best score – like, that's pretty impressive, but that's still a big difference for them. And he's been – they don't have a lot of bench defenders, so this is kind of skewed, but he's, he's been okay defensively, and it's like it, it's a big deal that you look and they've been so much worse without him. Like, that makes your – even if they don't make the playoffs, like, that pretty much just seals his case. And I don't know – like, I don't know who I would give it to aside from him. Like, Aaron Gordon oh, – I have one. I have one. All right, go ahead. Is it Aaron Din- Gordon? Dinwiddie. No, Dinwiddie. Oh, I'm fine with that. Yeah, he'd be the only other guy you'd even consider. But, no, I think Oladipo's already locked it up. He could be injured and be out for the year like tomorrow and still win it. Aaron Gordon looked like he might have been able to give him a run, but uh, when you factor in some of the time that he's missed with just how atrocious the Orlando Magic have been since oh my they're God, what's happened? They're, they cannot – well, they can't do anything right now, but they can't. Are they, the top, aren't they the top of the lottery now? Um, they're c- close. They have they are number one. Record. Oh, they, they are. are. They the overtook lottery. the Kings and wow. the Hawks. Wow. The Hawks need to start trading off some pieces then. Um, yes. That Luka Doncic <laughs> bowl, uh, as Andy continues to call it, super Luka Doncic fan. If you could, Andy will trade anyone on the Jazz who's not Joe Ingles, Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and then <laughs> shut those three down so that they can get Luka Doncic, it, it, I think is his dream. But, yeah, I don't There's. I don't even think, like, I, there's just – it's not even going to be close. Um, and the Pacers are going to be able to spin the – Paul George trade is kind of a small victory if he does win this award because it already looks a, a lot better than people thought. Paul George, former most improved player on the Pacers. He, this would be the Pacers' fifth most improved player award winner since the new millennium. That's some poetic symmetry, though, that you traded Paul George, who won most improved player, and then you get Victor Oladipo. So maybe yeah. the man is Sabonis will win it next year, too. Who knows? <laughs> He's been awesome. Who knows? Maybe. Um, so coach of the year I'm going to move on to next. Uh, both Andy and I picked, and I'm interested to see whether – I think there are a couple options here, but both Andy and I picked Brad Stevens in Boston. I'm interested to see okay. where you're at. You had uh, him too. I, I also will pick Brad Stevens, but it's not a runaway. I think Popovich is my number two because keeping the Spurs afloat without Kawhi was very impressive. But, yeah, uh, no Gordon Hayward, 30-12, and 12, I think. Yeah, it's Brad Stevens. Uh, yeah, I don't even – like, and I didn't expect them, so they traded away. It was like more than 65% of last season's minutes over the offseason and based off what they were doing in free agency and on the trade market. So, like, I didn't expect them to be – I knew they were going to be good when if you assumed Gordon Hayward remained healthy. But, like, I didn't expect them – if you told me they would have had Gordon Hayward, I wouldn't have even have expected where they are now. I probably would have put them closer towards being on maybe like a 47 win pace and then when he went down I think I said they would be lucky to get to like 44 45 so I don't even know how you pick against them at this point and then when you look at Kyrie Irving's defensive effort uh there's still like a lot of stuff that he can do uh, wrong a little bit but 
like he's smarter when it comes to helping. Like he doesn't necessarily help when his guy is only one pass away uh, anymore, nor does he kind of stand like in, in a gridlock and not do anything. He's fighting over screens a little bit more. He's smarter when he's switching away from the ball. It's like night and day with Cleveland, and I don't know if this was always going to happen because he was miserable um, playing for the Cavaliers, but like you have to give Brad Stevens some serious props for that. He's playing guys like Daniel Tice, who is good, okay. but like Dang he's playing it. someone like Daniel Tice. So that and, was my that was my next thing is I was gonna say Daniel Tice is good. Who the hell is Daniel Tice? And Brad Stevens has this dude balling. Right. It's just I mean like so uh, people said before Daniel Tice came in and I didn't scout him at all, but they were like, oh, he's a lot switchier than he looks. And I mean, I guess he is, but like you have to give Brad Stevens credit for like playing these guys because you're you have the number one seed in the East. It would be so easy, in my opinion, to kind of shorten your rotation or fall in love with all these small ball combinations. But like he's okay. Um, yeah, what the hell? We'll start Aaron Baines and Al Horford together, even though we don't have like a lot of size off the bench. But yeah, sometimes we'll we'll get away from that too um, if we have to, even though we necessarily have. So it's just he's fantastic, and I I even think think about some of the contracts he's earned players like Evan Turner in Portland. Um, when he left, uh, you could kind of look at uh, maybe Amir Johnson. Yeah. Amir Johnson, uh, Kelly Olenek. Uh, so it's just, he's a fantastic coach. I do think Greg Popovich deserves some love too, to put the Spurs like in within striking distance of the number two seed in the West right now, when you haven't had Kawhi Leonard basically the entire year, and when LaMarcus Aldridge requested a trade over the offseason, only to then sign an extension, only to then become the hub of everything you do offensively, uh, it's just everything that's going on in San Antonio. It's typical of the Spurs, but it still deserves some credit. This, uh, I think Dwayne Casey is going to get some like long-shot love, too, just because I, I, we have yet to see if this version, this iteration of the Raptors is going to be a good playoff team. I'll be very interested to see how their offense fares. Um, I was impressed with what they did against the Warriors when they fell behind big without Kyle Lowry. The other thing to me, though, is like you don't hear about players getting mad for not playing there. And there are like some guys that have actual gripes. Like Jonas Valanciunas starts games, but he's not really like this huge part of what the Raptors do. Norman Powell has never gotten his offensive, uh, or excuse me, his starting spot back from OG Ananobi, and he doesn't even play a ton for certain stretches. And But, like, you never hear about people getting angry. Kyle Lowry, the closest thing we heard was that, yeah, I'm trying to get used to playing off the ball when he was going through his shooting slump. And, like, that's just dissipated because his shooting percentages have recovered. And at the same time, you have DeMar DeRozan, who is running more than twice as many pick-and-rolls per game as Kyle Lowry. So, like, you've changed Kyle—DeMar DeRozan was running more last year, but you've you've functionally wholesale changed— what Kyle Lowry was doing, and, like, that's just fine, too. And I, I just think there needs to be some credit given there. And I think he's the first coach, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, that has ever just given Serge Ibaka, like, a green light to attack off the dribble. <laughs> like, I just don't – and Serge Ibaka has not been great doing it, but he looks more comfortable doing it. So uh, maybe it's just a regular season thing with him, but you know what? That's that's not a terrible, like, thing to say about him. Well, my counter Serge Ibaka point is that his only other two coaches are Scott Brooks and Frank Vogel, who are not creative guys. But uh, yes, he does, in fact, have Serge Ibaka looking like an okay offensive player. And I do like Casey as a dark horse to win it. But you have said my concerns with him is the playoff thing. If this is how good DeRozan truly is, then uh, they'll be fine in the playoffs either way, because apparently he's the hardest player to stop in the whole league. But uh, yeah, he, he's definitely got a dark horse chance. And uh, my my actual guy I'd put up there with a dark horse chance is Spolstra. The Heat are rolling sure. right. 
the Heat are rolling right now with a lot of injuries this year, and you know I think he just deserves to be mentioned. But he's like like with Pop and Stevens, you know he's always really good. So it's not like he'll get a ton of conversation just because of who he is. But you know he does. I think he deserves to be thought of a little bit more. Uh, he certainly does because so and we like we can talk about this like the Heat. Some of their best lineups or some of their best basketballs played without some of their most expensive or in theory most important players. Like they might be Hassan Whiteside's important to their defense, but some of their best front court combinations are not going to include him. You pay Dion Waiters all this money to kind of be that second scorer, and like you are just better without him. Although he's been like kind of good in crunch time. Um, before he went down with his injury. So uh, there's just – and everything's just constantly like there, – there are so many moving parts there. It seems like someone's getting injured there every other day. Tyler Johnson suffered an ankle injury uh, the other night. Goran Dragic waxes and wanes. Uh, James Johnson did the same thing uh, even though he's kind of steadied off. Uh, he And he just – he tries things. Like there was the game against the Raptors that actually I believe got Serge Ibaka suspended. Like you threw Bam and Hassan Whiteside out there together. It was just like – trying things like that it's like it hasn't been done in huge doses but they're experimentative even when they're uh rolling and you have to appreciate that about him yeah and he just i think some of his sideline out of bounds plays he just draws up a bunch of nonsense and says wayne ellington just catch it and shoot from wherever the heck you catch it and then he's then they score and that's their game plan and it works and it's just very creative and impressive to me how he can get guys scoring and, and defending in more creative ways every single year even guys that were on his team last year so I always, I'm always impressed with Spo though. You're in and you're out. Now they have the eighth best record in the league, so they're coming up fast. That, yeah, that's absolutely crazy. And I, I'm always for some Wayne Ellington, the human pinball, who I can't remember when the last time I saw him take a shot that was not off balance. <laughs> and still almost or make it every time. Yeah. Um, it is back to you. Well, we only have two awards left, and I want to save MVP for last because we're climactic like that. So I guess we have to do executive of the year. Um, Andy, you, you and Andy's disagreement. I'm excited. The lone disagreement. Andy had Daryl Morey. I had Danny Ainge. Okay, um, I have neither of those people, so this is good. Oh, this is fun. Um, Daryl Morey, the case is just obvious. Like, you picked up Chris Paul, even with the injuries, and him and Harden haven't spent too well, not as much time on the floor together. Uh, the pickups of Luke and Bamut was big before he was injured. P.J. Tucker has been good defensively for them. Uh, if you look, they've destroyed opponents when they're on the floor. Like They, they outscore them by a zillion points per 100 possessions when they play Ariza, Tucker, and Luke and Bamut together. And that's why you can uh, argue that they might be a semi-legitimate threat to the Warriors. I think the case for Ainge kind of writes itself too, um, even if you're not going to factor in like the whole Jason Tatum stuff uh, because the draft and uh, that coming before free agency. I mean, he, he made some of these moves. He was criticized for the Kyrie Irving trade uh, by me, of course, too. And <laughs> that's worked out for them. Um, and you've hit on some of these guys that you've brought over. Daniel Tice, Semi Ojeli has, has looked good this year. Even though he's not a good three-point shooter, he like, doesn't really take bad shots. Like Daryl Morey would, would love him too. Um, Jalen Brown has kind of like blossomed this year from uh, his rookie campaign. Um, the Al Horford signing still looks fantastic. Uh, you Yes, you trade away Avery Bradley, who has not been good this year, who I thought was starting off the year really well, but he's he's just been bad for the Pistons. You got Marcus Morris, who, when he's healthy, that's just like another like-sized guy for you. So you gave up an asset, but you got another one who was on a longer contract for cheaper than Avery Bradley, who was due for a raise this summer. Uh, I just think that needs to be recognized. And the Celtics have... The, the best record in the Eastern Conference, yes, owed more to Brad Stevens, but Danny Ainge was was certainly a, a part of it, and his ability to tinker and make tough, if 
I, I guess we can call them like I don't know like the way he told Isaiah Thomas like it always seemed like kind of insensitive like he knew he was coming back from like his one year anniversary trip or something but the NBA is a business <laughs> and to make that call like I'm not Danny Ainge isn't a hero but like a lot of guys might like they might have gotten sentimental and his ability to kind of remain removed from the situation like it's it's cold and like I get the criticism of it um but I, I mean like he waited he sat on his assets for the right deal and, and I mean he found it and he still has assets because of the Tatum trade. They are and... interesting, though, because Jason Tatum is their fourth highest paid player. So, like, they're – a lot of people <laughs> want to see them make moves at the deadline. And I know they have the injured player exception. But the thing is, is, like, if they're going to make a move, like, it, it would be next year when they've, like, signed Marcus Smart um, and, like, given him a raise and you just have some, like, expendable salary matching fodder or something. Yeah, trading for them will be hard. I think, you know, they'll figure it out because they have a genius GM and – you know, but I think they the, I know the thought earlier in the year was they should use the the player exception like early enough that they could end up trading that player in three months so that it was a flippable like m- middle of the road salary kind of guy. But I think they will use it strategically. I if I were them, I would just take in some team that is like close to the taxes expiring money to let them get under the tax and then just pick up an asset with it. But who knows? Danny Ainge is smart and will do something smarter than anything I just said. And one of the <laughs> arguments in favor of him would be, like, if you even mention the Celtics giving up anybody at this point in a trade, they, like, they riot. Like, yeah. <laughs> like when when the Anthony Davis stuff came out that Boston's been trying to get him and people, like, that's what we do on Twitter and, like, that's what writers do. They talk about the possible deals. It was just, like, why would they give up Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis? Or why would they give up Jalen Brown for Anthony Davis? So uh, Danny Ainge has kind of turned – into like this cult hero in Boston apparently because you mentioned Terry Rozier and they kind of flip out too. Yeah. Yeah. Terry Rozier, the jokes were funny for a while, but he's a pretty good player, you know, especially for his size. So credit for nailing that one too. And we're dating. It's it's funny that it's not ridiculous that he was the breaking point in the Serge Ibaka trade and we all kind of (laughs) laughed at it, but now it's like, well, you know, that kind of makes sense now. Yeah. And suddenly Ibaka's contract's not that good. And like Ibaka's not that good. And Terry here like he's really good. It's Ibaka's like outdated, like almost yes. antiquated. He's, I still think he's good in his role. The problem is the, the role of like the spacey big man has evolved and he has not. He just can't play. He, he does, it's not that he can't. He just doesn't play center where he'd be better. But um, yeah, it, Ainge deserves a ton of credit. I think every move he's made has been a positive move. Even like Morris and Bradley, that trade at the time was just like, all right, there's their salary dump. But you know, Morris has probably been as good as Bradley, so it was totally worth it. For sure. So who? And they have, have Gordon Hayward. We ha- they have Gordon Hayward. Yeah, like and he hasn't even played. Like that, that's <laughs> yeah. just like that's absolutely scary. We're gonna hear that over the summer. Like let's just say Giannis or Anthony Davis comes in the market, and you're gonna hear, well, the Celtics aren't really offering anybody because the- Gordon Hayward didn't even play last year, and they won 60 games, and like that's what's gonna happen. That's where all this is leading to is that they're gonna pick up someone good on a bargain. Or they're gonna trade Gordon Hayward and the the Kings pick for Giannis. <laughs> um. I mean, I wouldn't put that, it. I wouldn't that was it not true. That they're not gonna. That's not fair trade. That it's was funny joke. that people are like, when I say they don't have salary match for, they're like, well, if Anthony Davis became available, they would trade Al Horford. And and yes, I do believe they would. But why do the Pelicans, if they were trading Anthony Davis, want yeah, Al Horford? They don't. Al Horford is good, but a rebuilding team doesn't want Al Horford. So you need the salary matching fodder, which they'll probably have by next year. So anyone who wants the Celtics to kind of strike iron one, the players. And the other thing is, if you're the Celtics. Like, you th- – those are the players you're waiting on, and that's it. Like, I can't even – like, maybe you make these smaller moves if they come along, but you're waiting on Giannis or Anthony Davis, and that's pretty much it. Like, who else no, the, are you, like, waiting on? You have no incentive to trade for anybody else. The, the, the Celtics' plan is draft really high and then trade for a really good player. 
Yep. Um, yeah, let's. I'll do my pick. Uh, Tom Thibodeau is my executive of the year. Okay, wow. I'll let you process that. I don't think I'm going to be able to, so maybe just keep talking. Okay. Uh, Tom Thibodeau. So so I, I want to assess the Jimmy Butler trade at the time of the Jimmy Butler trade because – Assessing it now is different because Chris Dunn actually looks good. But at the time, he traded a distressed asset of Chris Dunn and Zach Levine, who just tore his ACL, and the seventh pick for Jimmy Butler and the 16th pick. And that has worked out brilliantly. He signed Taj Gibson, who has turned out to actually be great protecting the rim for them and fits in seamlessly with their offense. Boy, Jeff did T- I shit on that contract. I <laughs> kind of look like a fool. Even though I, mean, I probably still would have rather seen them use that money elsewhere, but whatever. I'm I eating my words on that one too. They they signed Jeff Teague to a good deal. He's been okay for them. If he hadn't gotten injured, that deal would look even better. And they got a first-round pick out of Ricky Rubio. Every single move they made has been brilliant, and they, to me, are now that they have the fifth-best record in the league above San Antonio as of yesterday – you know, they're just playing so far above what I thought. And he doesn't deserve – like, he does deserve some coaching credit, but his minutes thing just – he'll never win it. But his moves have all been really good this year, and I really think he deserves to win it. It's it's hard to separate, like, the coach from the executive with him. I know. Because, I know. <laughs> because, like, his use of Gorgie, Gorgie Jang is weird. Um, the Jamal Crawford contract, like, why did Jamal Crawford get a player option at the room exception? Like, I just don't – like, why are you – how – like, I just – why did you give Jamal Crawford the room exception at all? So it's <laughs> it's just that that stuff is tough to separate. And that would be – so I forget about the Rubio trade. So, like, that really does make a strong case for him. I guess what I would say against him, um, aside from my usual stuff, would be where you can point to Maury or you can point to Ainge, and they didn't really make a bad move this summer. Uh, like, or can you point to a bad move that they made? I think you can very clearly point to a mistake uh, that uh, Tibbs made, and that would be giving Jamal the Wiggins. Crawford. Oh, oh yeah. I was going to say the Wiggins extension, and I'm just discounting oh, yeah. it because yeah. it doesn't kick in until next year because that's the worst move he made. That was but, more. That might have been more ownership driven too, though. Yeah, that what, too. That was the weird. Glenn Taylor was like, "We'll give you this money if you promise to get better." Like, what someone's, yeah. what someone's going to come in like, "No, I'm probably going to taper off." <laughs> Exactly. And I, well, to me with Crawford, it's like they need his bench scoring and, and he's done okay with it recently. So I think what they said is like, we'll give you the room exception. He said, I'm not coming here without a player option. And that's probably how it went down, which sucks for them. But they, they kind of need his bench scoring because their bench kind of sucks. So, uh, you know, I agree that it was not, it's not a good deal, but I, I bet that's how the negotiation went down. I have no doubt that that's how it went down. Um, and- yes, I picked, I picked Tibbs. <laughs> Um, I think you are going to be in the severe minority when the season is over. I, I mean, who knows if the Timberwolves end up with the three seed where they're currently. So like if you, cause if you get the three seed, like golden state and Houston, just seem, unless something can, like stuff continues to go wrong in Houston and Chris Paul and James Harden basically trade off being absent from the lineup. Like they essentially have been, it's going to be golden state Houston. And then if, if you're the Timberwolves and you're able to stave off the Spurs, um, for number three, yes, we know Kawhi Leonard has been injured or not really looked like Kawhi Leonard. Like that's still like. That that would be maybe a, a, a feather in his cap. I still I can't see him winning it. I would on I'd be shocked if he got more if he finished in third place. To be honest. Wow, wow. I don't know who else I'd I'd put, I put him number one, and I don't know who I besides Angel Mori. I don't know who you jump above him for three. Presti's moves didn't work out. Um, Ujiri, uh, you could probably do. He made Ujiri, most of, yeah, like a, of a like not a great situation. Like a. So you could throw him in there. I don't know who else you would really. If we did this after 20 games, I would have said Stan Van Gundy, but his team looks terrible now, so I will not yeah, say Stan. He never would have gotten it for me. And, like, I'm still a Contavious Call Pope fan, but, like, let's remove him from the equation. 
you do not hard cap yourself on day yeah. one for Langston Galloway. Who doesn't even play anymore. They did do they do not play him like a third of their games now. Um fun fact though, I'm actually gonna check this to see if it's still true because that was the other thing that made it really funny. He had the like the highest net rating among rotation players for them. Yeah, they don't play him. They just don't play him anymore. I don't get it. He still does. They outscore opponents by nine point <laughs> three points per hundred possessions with him on the floor. And that is hey. now ahead of both Dwight Bukes and Henry Ellison, those guys who have played a combined 27 games, but their numbers were, you know, those small samples help. So, and wait, can we just, can we just laugh at this for a minute? I know this is off topic, but tangents are fun. This is the top five net ratings for Detroit. One is Langston Galloway. Two is Dwight Bukes. Three is Henry Ellison. Four is Luke Kennard. Five is John Lohr. Six is Anthony Tolliver. Seven is Eric Moreland. Eight is Ish Smith. So, like, even – here's my points. Like, a lot of these guys, they have small samples on their size. Bukes and Ellison have barely played. Um, you could even make the case John Lohr's only been in eight games this year. So, you want to remove those three. But, like, then you still have five guys who are ahead of all your best players. Supposed best players. Yeah, yeah they yeah. – uh, I mean, Tobias I Harris is genuinely good. I love Tobias He's Harris. very good. He's so. very good. Um, but so, that was my that was my tangent there. No, that that their record is weird. I don't understand them, and they're, they are they, they're scarily close to dropping out of the playoff hunt. Yeah, all seven of their most used lineups are net negatives. Like wow. that's yeah. So you know, for a team above five hundred, that's you know bizarre and terrible. Uh, yet they yet they slapped the Pacers for whatever eleven out of the twelve quarters they played this year. They or also 15 have, out of 16. they also have Andre Drummond passing. Like that was just well uh, passing well. Yes, he is averaging more assists. Well, this was as of last night. He's averaging more assists per 36 minutes than Marc Gasol. Wow. Yeah. Marc Gasol, who is coming up in our trade discussions, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know who actually would want to trade for Marc Gasol. has been terrible. I actually just I ranked, the, I ranked I the top 15 centers with Adam Frommel the other day, and we did it as if we're having these guys for the rest of the year. Uh, Marc Gasol did not make the cut. He went 16, and we put Miles wow. Turner 15th. I'm still. Let's go. I'm a Miles, Miles Turner. Turner Miles Turner out for two months. Still more valuable than Marcus Uh, I, that news had not broke. I don't know before <laughs> we did the rankings, but listen, he's. I love him. He's shooting fifty percent, more than fifty percent on long twos. Like that's. Yes. Sell me on it. He's so. awesome. His defense um, is too. His defense is like kind of under. Everyone moved away from him. Like I get he seeded ground to like the other bigs who were drafted in 2015, and I also get that like his. Offensive role hasn't been as prominent as we initially expected when you looked at the like Paul George initially leaving. Okay, yes, Victor Oladipo was going to come in and commandeer a lot of the touches, but you also didn't see like, oh, they signed Darren Collison and Boyan Bogdanovich and Demantis Sabonis is going to be a guy that they have to play. That's going to be an interesting choice for them long term, by the way, because both those guys are best off at center, in my opinion. They are, but we'll uh, we will see that problem when it comes. Best problem to have is having too much talent, right? Look at, so, yeah, look at all these tangents right now. Talking about the we'll Pacers. see we'll see when it comes. Uh, I could talk about the Pacers forever, and I will be later. Um, MVP. Uh, I was surprised that Andy and I actually shared this pitch because I thought I was going against the grain a little bit, and I'm a little bit upset to find out that I'm not. My MVP is Stephen Curry, as is Andy. Wow, his is two. Yeah. Wow. Who do you have? Okay, I thought for sure that. That me picking LeBron would be in line with both of you because Harden's injury took him out. I did not realize Steph has been good for like two weeks. Okay, okay so here's something that's going to. I blow... get he's absolutely like wrecking everything, no. but it's two weeks. All right, here's something that I think is needs to be considered. Stephen Curry has only played in five fewer games than James Harden. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not comparing them at all. Oh, to the LeBron thing. Okay, so here's what... LeBron's fine. Uh, I think that's fair, and so I'm going to give this as a caveat. The Cavaliers are probably going to turn things around at some point in the regular season, and if they do, 
like LeBron has a legitimate chance to win it then because of what happened with Curry's injuries. Uh, also, James Harden missing some time. You have Kawhi Leonard's not even going to be in the conversation, uh, and that will help him a lot. But just because of how like topsy turvy the Cavaliers have been, and on the season, like this is so this is including their hot stretch. The Cavaliers are outscoring opponents by point four points per 100 possessions when LeBron James is on the floor. When he's not on the floor, they're actually better. One, They're outscoring opponents by one point per 100 possessions. I saw that. So, like, that, to me, kind of matters. You look at James Harden, uh, the Rockets are better with him on the floor. They're a plus nine per 100 possessions. But they're still, like, super good without him. They're a plus 4.4. That drop-off really isn't there. Steph, for me, like... That he matters so much to probably the best team ever assembled. They're a plus 16.5 without him. They dropped to a plus 5.6. Excuse me. They're plus 16.5 with him. They dropped to a plus 5.6 when he steps off. That's better than the Rockets are without Harden. But the drop, we're talking about almost an 11-point drop. And as you said, he's been destroying everybody this year. His true shooting percentage on the season, 7.2. Unbelievable. Like that's just that is, and he's attempted almost three hundred threes, oh, and through thirty games, so he's averaging almost ten threes a game, and his true shooting percentage is at sixty-seven point two. Um, he leads the league now in offensive box plus minus. He is he above does. James Harden and LeBron. Ten point four, yeah. Unbelievable. So it's just, I I think he's a viable pick, and if if he's going to keep this up, if he's going to remain healthy, and if the Cavaliers, like anecdotal context matters, and the fact that they started slow. And then, yes, they had that hot streak. Everything seemed to be going hunky-dory. They looked deeper without LeBron James. Maybe that even hurts them, too. They've never really—their bench still overall, you can argue, they've never had a LeBron James team that never had more options. Now you're going through this rough stretch where people are talking about they're doubting their title chances. They want changes to be made. Even if they come out of it, I think that's going to kind of serve as a wart on his resume. And now Stephen Curry has bridged that gap closer to James Harden. I'm interested to see, too, the offshoot of this before I let you make your LeBron James argument. And I also want to point out that's the third time I use the word offshoot in this podcast, so <laughs> I want my gold medal afterwards. Um, the, the James Harden stuff is going to get weird. Like, are the He very clearly wants to win MVP, and at this point, I would have to hope that the Rockets and himself realize that both James and Curry have closed the gap enough to where, hey, we, like, we're going to monitor your minutes, and now you are dealing with hamstring injuries, but maybe they won't. So th- that'll be something that'll be intriguing to monitor. Yeah, uh, I might put Harden three right now behind LeBron and Curry, honestly. Uh, LeBron, first in the league in Andy Bailey's favorite stat, VORP. He is VORP Twitter, and he should know that LeBron is first in that stat. But uh, LeBron's 10.3 BPM, I believe, is first, or top two in the league as well. His assist percentage is up to 44%. He's assisting on almost half of the Cavaliers' assists every night. He's scoring 28 points per game on 64% true shooting. He is one of the best defenders in the NBA. I I attribute his on-off splits to having to spend 10 games playing alongside Derrick Rose and starting with Dwayne Wade. J.R. Smith plays a lot of minutes (laughs) on him, too. Yes, yeah. Uh, And yet he's still able to have positive impacts on both ends of the floor playing next to some of those guys. 30% usage with that true shooting and impacting the game in every single manner like he does. I just think he's running away with it right now running away seems kind of strong Stephen Curry's now first in real plus minus by the way and another yes, thing that, is. that surprises me a little bit so RPM wins is going to account more for like volume and Stephen Curry is still ninth in that category despite <laughs> like no one else in the top looking through this real quick so I'm, I'm only in the so no one else in the top 38 has played 
in fewer than 30 games, uh, fewer than 31 games. And Stephen Curry's ninth and has played in 30. 30. Victor Oladipo is eighth, by the way, um, in OPM wins. And his, I think his real plus minus ranking is even better. Yeah, sixth. So um, I, I don't know. Like Stephen Curry is just it for me right now. And I, I, I'm actually happy that we're having this debate because James Harden is still going to be <laughs> a serious candidate. And now all of a sudden we have one. It looked like Harden might run away with it. Now all of a sudden we have like this actual argument taking place. Yeah, and I, I wanted Harden to win it when he was healthy, which is so, like, fanny to say, but with his injuries dropped him far enough out that I don't think he deserves it enough to want for me to want him to win it anymore. And as I glance over Curry's stats, I I, I, I do think if he keeps this up for even, you know, till the till the All-Star break, he'll be my leader at that point. But, you know, he, I don't, he can't keep dominating like this much, right? Like, at some point, he's going to concede a little bit of ground to LeBron, and I already think LeBron's ahead of him, so... You know, that that's I just think LeBron's it. You know what could sway LeBron? This is gonna be an excellent segue. What the Cavaliers do with the trade deadline. <laughs> yes, it could. Substantially help him. Um, oh. Oh, we got a Woe's treat about the fight. Yes, it he what was it? He has emerged as the most aggressive and Trevor Reza described <laughs> as the most aggressive and determined to get into opposing locker room. Love it. Oh, good. What a what, what With a weird Chris Paul and James to... Harden viewed as trying to slow down Ariza. NBA investigation will continue into Wednesday. That is, wow. like, that's a good Woj bomb. This is, like, kind of, like, now up there with the whole DeAndre Jordan kidnapping and free agency in 2015. <laughs> well, it's, it's not the Pacers-Pistons brawl, so we're, uh, at, we're, yeah. we're getting there. What up, I'm glad NBA Twitter wasn't around for that. That would have been something else. Let's do trades. Let's not talk about fights. Um, this is going to just be like kind of off-the-cuff stuff, I, not anything that I've given too much. I've given a lot of deep thought into trades, but everything is so – a lot of people are pessimistic that we're going to have a slow deadline. Others are optimistic it will be a quick one. It does seem like the same names are just being recycled over and over again. I like want there to be like some surprises. So – uh, I want to start with you, and just what what do you want to talk about? What's the one note? I, I know what it is, but let, let's tell everybody else. Wait, you know what it is? Did oh, Tyreek trades? Tyreek trades? <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, and I kind of referenced one earlier, so that works out, because, you know, you talked about how bad Jamal Crawford's been, and I know that the Timberwolves ended up with a, a, a heavily protected first-round pick trade away, Ricky Rubio, and I think Tyreek Evans would be the perfect either A, replacement of the starting line for Andrew Wiggins, or B, sixth man in Minnesota. What are you giving up for him, though, if you're mini? You know, that is where the challenge comes in because I think that pick is enough, but you have to send out like 1.9 million, 2 million-ish, and I don't know where that comes from is the challenge. Right, and you're, you're not obviously going to throw in Justin Patton even though you don't use him. That's like a – he would be a good fit there. Uh, Tyreek on the Wizards has been popular. He'd be yep. kind of fun to see. Um, a deal that – because – so the Grizzlies want – a first-round pick for Tyreek Evans, which is, like, they'll. do you think they'll get it? Maybe that's the first question. Will they get a first-round pick for Tyreek Evans? Well, you got to think the only teams that you would would be willing to do that are playoff teams, so it's a bad first-rounder, and the only teams that need the scoring are, like, Cleveland, Washington, Minnesota, maybe the Spurs. Um, it's... So. Doesn't it's it, hard to find the first that exists for him. Um, it probably has to be part of a larger trade where maybe they're taking back a slightly longer contract and they're giving someone else up. Here would be my suggestion for a Tyreek Evans trade. Uh, Washington gets Tyreek and James Ennis, who is one of our favorite trade assets and his early yes, bird rights. Um, yes, they send out a first 
to go along with Jason Smith's deal. And you could throw in Sheldon Mack, too, if you want to do two for two. Yeah, that's not terrible. Um, that's like one of the worst compliments ever. Yeah, yeah that's not the, the crappiest <laughs> well, thing I've ever heard. Well, we were talking about Wizards trades in the Bullets Forever group chat today, and it's just so hard for them because they're they're five and a half million over the tax, and I know they're going to try to duck it. So taking back money for them is hard if they get off of Smith. So I don't I, I don't know what the answer is. It's really tough. I yeah, I mean they could save some money if they went like I think Smith for like Evans work straight up, but that's not if you're giving up a first round pick, I don't know that is the only contract you want to be getting off Jason Smith's. Right. I mean, if you want to right. duck the tax, uh, you you really have to either one sweeten the deal, I guess with Jan Mahinmi, or maybe you move Markeith Morris, uh, who was better. Uh, was getting better. I like you would have to move a combination of Jody Meeks then that you don't do you want to get rid of Sadaransky? I don't know what the path is. I came up with a hypothetical DeAndre Jordan trade that got them under the tax line um a while back. I can't remember what it was. But like it would have to, it seems like for them to get on their tax it have to be like a fairly large deal. Yeah, they're only five point whatever million eight, over. Think, so yeah. five point eight, yeah. Uh I have five point six, close enough, whatever. Uh, but so like Jason Smith and any minimum guy gets them under, but they'd have to like find a third team for the minimum guy or something like that. So, you know, and, and if ownership doesn't care about getting under the tax and it doesn't matter. So maybe we're just grasping at straws, but it, it's going to be hard for them without giving up another first. And their only first round pick in the last three years is Kelly Oubre. So I don't know if they want to do that. The thing they could do. So Mark Cuban was talking about how Dallas will be aggressive using its cap flexibility near the trade deadline. But like, what are you sweetening the pot with for Jason Smith? Like, you don't—I don't know that you want to give up a first-round pick in that deal. So it's just like, are you like, in, Tim Frazier's not going to get it done? Like for Dallas, like for them to send no money back. So I don't—I don't really know what the path is. Like, it, it's easy, you know, five point eight million dollars isn't a lot, but to make it up in a trade, like, I don't know that you want to. Would you want to include a first-round pick in a deal where you're getting rid of $6 million in salary? That doesn't really seem worth it to me. So so here's a dumb stepping stone idea. What if – like what – how much would it take for you to take Mahid me for Miles Plumley if you're the Hawks? <sighs> <laughs> Maybe. Right, Mahid me's probably like a little better, but he makes a lot more. Not a lot, but $4 million more. I like I maybe they would want Sadaransky. They could use yeah. like a wing like that. I do you want to give I like Sadaransky and you're just gonna I do too. I do too. Yeah, I mean you could, so that would But like a Mahini Plumley swap gets them close enough that the next move is easy, but then you'd have to give up just a little bit to do that, so I don't I don't know. It's gonna be hard for them. And even a Sadaransky like Mahini trade, like so they need the Hawks need to send like another two point two million back, uh and then, so yeah, they would duck the tax. Like you could get, they don't have that. Like they're not going to give up Delaney. They're not going to give up Bembry. They might give up Babbitt, but then you still need another person in there. It's just really tough. I, I feel like the Wizards would have to do it as part of like a larger deal. Maybe the Bulls would be willing to help them out. Maybe there's a way yeah. to get uh, Miritich in like the such. Sun, to me, it should be the Suns. They have the most space. They should be using it to get anything they can. Yeah, I'd be. I they're interesting because they might want to preserve cap space, though. You never know with them. So, uh, uh, no, you never know with the dumbest team in the league who wouldn't trade Devin Booker for Porzingis and wouldn't trade Josh Jackson for Kyrie. Yeah, they are stupid. <laughs> the Josh Jackson for Kyrie, like the number three pick in Bledsoe, uh, number four pick, excuse me, in Bledsoe. That was like a legitimate argument, though. That was 
If it was and Bledsoe, I would say no. But I thought the whole the whole thing was they wouldn't trade number three for Kyrie no matter what the deal was. I was like, you kidding? Well, me. that was the thing that that's done. But I'm pretty sure it was because <laughs> Bledsoe wasn't. Maybe that is the case. Also, uh, did we totally discount this Tyreek uh, option for Minnesota? Is just giving up Crawford with the first? I wonder if uh, maybe the Grizzlies would do that. That wouldn't be a bad option for Minnesota. And then you're getting out because Jamal Crawford is going to opt in next year. He's slated yes, he to is. make uh, $4.5 million. So And now Minnesota still has their bench scorer on the wing. But it's like it's an effective rental. Like you can use your MLE if you're not going to be a tax-paying team next year, which they yep. like could, could come pretty cl- – they would have to still duck it uh, there. I think they're slated to be all-inclusive, a luxury tax team. They'll be a year. little under depending on how they Cole handle Aldrich. like full Aldrich. Yep. Shabazz Muhammad is a player option that he'll probably exercise. Uh, uh, yeah, there's the Yeah, the imminently available Gorgie Jang will be <laughs> very, very. He's, uh, he's on the probably trademark. extremely available right yes, now. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, do you see any? The, the Cavs are going to do something. Yes. Do you see what are your trade targets for them? Well, we talked about this beforehand, but I'm well. Was it with you? I don't remember who it was with. I think it was you. I'm pretty pro trading the Brooklyn pick. Because you know you might never be this good as a as a franchise ever again. You have the best player ever, and Isaiah Thomas and a bunch of great players. You have to go for it, even if the Warriors are as good as they are. I think you have to go for it. So I think they're going to trade. I if I were them, I'd trade the Brooklyn pick. The question is for who, and it's really hard to find the right guy because DeAndre doesn't help you against the Warriors that much, and Marcus Saul's been meh and. Apparently Boogie isn't available, and now the Thunder are looking okay, so Paul George isn't available. So it's like, who do they even trade it for? And maybe it's like Tyreek and Marcus Gasol, but that is that an, like worth it? I, I I would trade the Brooklyn pick. I just don't know what they'll get. Um, I would trade it too, but the right player has to be out there. I don't know that it needs to be like this like perennial All Star just based off where the Nets are right now because if you if like the lottery was just strictly done based off record like they would be outside the top seven right now or they'd be seventh um, yeah so they're right there and locks up with the suns but you could see them very easily like the bulls falling below them the suns falling below them uh i don't know could the jazz or the hornets or the knicks still fall below them maybe but they they could realistically have like the 10th worst record as opposed to the fifth and that's a big oh, deal. for sure, for sure. Here's, so I have two trades for them. One of them I've already – a version of it I've already kind of proposed to you. But So this is like my more realistic one, and it doesn't involve giving up the Nets pick. Cavaliers get Tyreek Evans and Jermichael Green. The Grizzlies get Shumpert, Zizek, Cleveland's first this year, and a 2020 second-round pick via Miami. It's not bad. No, that's pretty good. Um, you're, you know, Tyreek Evans is probably leaving. He's not going to stay. For, I don't think he would stay for the taxpayers mid-level next year. Um but you have Jermichael Green who helps you. Like those are two players that help you against Golden State. Tyreek Evans is someone you'd rather throw on point guards than Isaiah Thomas or Dwayne Wade. Or I'm not sure Jermichael Green helps against Golden State. Oh, for, he definitely does for those lineups where you have Draymond Green at center, and so LeBron is for, like you don't. There's no more. Like now you don't have to have Tristan Thompson or Kevin Love on the floor. It's a tough decision to make, but you can have LeBron James, Jermichael Green, Jay Crowder. Like that's your three man front court, and you're you're semi-built to combat whatever the Warriors throw at you. And by having Green being able to defend Green, Green versus Green, that frees LeBron up to just focus on Kevin Durant a little bit more, assuming Jay Crowder um, can hold his own against, you know, Clay Thompson moving around or just go, like whether they throw him on like a dollar, maybe he's the, the guy that they have switching the most and picking and rolls above the break. So I think it would help them more than any 
other reasonable small scale deal that they can make. I don't know if getting a big, the, to me, getting a big for them isn't the way to go. Like if you can pick up Dwayne Dedman on the cheap, he's very switchy for uh, a taller guy. So that would be something to look at. Nerlens Noel would be interesting if the Dallas is just going to give him away and he's healthy. But unlike those like mid end or small end moves, you're not going to do better in my mind than the package I came up with. I think trading their pick is an interesting option too, since they can actually do that now. And I haven't really thought of a ton of the moves that they could make using it. But that's yeah, the value's pretty good. I I don't think Jermichael Green helps at all against Golden State. I don't think he's that at good all? on defense. Like you don't think it's like at all, at all, no. Kevin Love, Channing Fry, Tristan Thompson. Those are the three bigs I'm playing the whole game. I know Tristan doesn't help that much either, but I think his are rebounding. Are you drunk helped. right now? You're like Kevin Love has been absolutely like horrid as per usual. Like they can't. His here's a, Kevin Love at center. Those lineups are actually a net negative for the Cavaliers. So the offensive tr- the offense that you're gaining by having him at the five isn't even worth what you're giving up defensively. And I, Tristan Thompson really hasn't been that good this year. And when you play him and Kevin Love together, the Cavaliers have been a disaster this season. Because regular season Cavs are such a good indicator of their playoffs. They cannot turn it on defensively like they arguably could have in years past. No, they, they can't. But they now have Isaiah Thomas and whoever they trade for, and their offense will be better because of it. Oh, man. Uh, I, I don't I, think Jermichael Green is any get, better than the big man rotation they would have presently. I think it would be noticeably better. I get the let's just go with all offense model that you're arguing for, but to say that Jermichael they Green doesn't help that. them they against— have do They that. have to do that, but to say that Jermichael Green doesn't help them against Golden State is like, whoa. Um, my other idea was involve the Nets getting back their own pick, <laughs> and it was just super out there. But, like, it's a three-team trade. You would have Cleveland getting Nick Batum, Kemba Walker— Michael Carter-Williams, Nick Stauskas, Char- the Charlotte Hornet gets Dimwitty, Karis LeVert. Uh, they would have to eat Amon Shumpert and Channing Fry. They get Toronto's first this year and Toronto's second next year, I believe, Brooklyn owns. And then Brooklyn um, would get uh, Chetty Osman and its own pick back this year. I had an original version that didn't work out. Oh, they would be the ones eating Amon Shumpert's deal, not Charlotte in that scenario. Right. So I initially had Damari Carroll going to Charlotte, um, J.R. Smith going to Brooklyn, but I, I nixed that. Maybe have J.R. Smith go to Charlotte and Channing Fry go to Brooklyn. But that would be like you pointed out that the Nets pick probably isn't worth in a vacuum uh, giving up Karis LeVert and Dinwiddie. I would agree, but you're going to have to reinvest in Dinwiddie soon. Uh, Karis LeVert's going to be extension eligible after next year, and you're not going to be at a point where you want to be reinvesting in these players when you don't necessarily know with, with what you have. That being said, if you're moving Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert now, like the value of that pick that you're getting is going up because the Nets are probably going to wind up with a bottom five record anyway. Yeah, it's not like I can't say my phrase again. It's okay. Um, I don't know why the, the the Charlotte Hornets would trade away their two best players for Spencer Dinwiddie and then the hope that Levert and Hollis Jefferson turn out good because Toronto's picks are going to be horrible. But um, Probably because Batum's deal is putrid. Like oh, four, it's so bad. four years and $100 million and you're getting off that money. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think Charlotte's going to trade Kemba in a different way, and I just don't envision something. I, I know the whole point of this was to get Brooke on their pickback, so that would be funny. But I'd, uh, It would be hysterical. It, but, like, that's the be, trade. Absolutely. Kemba or, like, a Nick Batum, he's on a bad contract, but he actually probably – he's not good as the secondary ball handler, to, like the secondary option on offense. You'd be making the third option, and then he's allowed to play defense. Like, he's headlined some really good – defensive unit for charlotte's when kemba walker isn't on the floor so that's like that'd probably be the type of trade that they would have to chase yeah that, yeah and and nick batum could help the Cavs. 
So that makes sense. It just I don't see Brooklyn trying to tear down for any reason. It's a tear down though. They're getting their pick back. It's not (laughs) going to happen, but it would just it would be hysterical to me. It would be hysterical. I agree. Uh, Uh, Any other off the wall things? Well, so Kemba Walker, the Charlotte Hornets should trade him. The Charlotte Hornets probably won't trade him because they're the Charlotte Hornets. But like, what teams (laughs) could you see making bids for him? Uh, I think every team's fan base on Twitter wants to trade for him. That makes sense. Um, realistically, I think Orlando might try to do it because they are just have just been so void of talent for forever, and they just want someone good. Detroit to upgrade over Reggie Jackson. Uh, a lot of Pacers Twitter wants him, but I don't think he compliments Victor Oladipo's talents very well. Um, the Knicks make some sense just to have someone else that can play good basketball, um, but it's not – Easy to find a perfect suitor. No, I, the, the Nuggets would probably be like a small favor for mine, even though Jamal Murray's gotten mm-hmm. a lot better. You probably don't have to give up Jamal Murray, and that deal would be the line that you draw in there. Uh, but it is tough with the way the point guard position is set up around the league. Yeah, and I'd rather have Jamal Murray as an asset than Kemba, and and I don't know how well he fits in Denver either because he's putrid on defense. So I Oh, uh, no. No, Kemba Walker Kemba? is an underrated defender. Uh, underrated. Okay, sure. Underrated, still not good. Um, and would be, I don't know, I just, I don't want the ball out of Jokic's hands that much. And I don't, I don't know, I don't love that fit very I much. I think it would probably help because Kemba Walker's a good spot-up shooter now. And the way he the is. defenses have taken away a lot of the cutting lanes for uh, Denver's off-ball guys to just have that additional option Jamal Murray isn't there yet but if you don't have to give him up in a Kemba deal and I don't think you uh, I'm sure the Hornets would want him but if you can construct something that doesn't include him I would love it and they're probably one of the better fits out there to me on the spot I just thought of the Clippers as not being the worst idea who are they giving up for him I I don't know Patrick Beverly good team-friendly contract and Uh, nothing because they have no assets, but I like his fit there actually. So that's the reason I chose them. <laughs> All right. Um, anyone else Moving you want on. to talk about? Um, any quick hits? Nuggets? There has to be something else that could happen. I think that there will be less trades this year because it's the middle of the long, like the four year deals from 2016. Right. Right. So it's the hardest time to assess where you're at with those contracts. I think there'll be a lot more next year. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what kind of moves teams make. I think Memphis is the only team I would say is for sure is going to trade. And it's not even the player that everyone wants to be traded, which is Marcus Gasol. Yeah, exactly. Who's exactly. more likely to be traded, Gasol or Jordan? Which is an interesting question all of a sudden with the Clippers back in the playoffs. I think, right still have Mike Con- I think still having Mike Conley and Blake Griffin's contract puts them both kind of low on the to- likeliness to be traded scale. But if I had to pick one, I think will be more likely to be traded. I'd pick DeAndre. Um, do the Bucks get a big man at the deadline? No, I do not think they do because they have nothing they can send out that wouldn't cripple them elsewhere on the team. Dwayne Dedman would be interesting, depending on how much the Hawks want for him. Slash, are the Bucks willing to include DJ Wilson in that deal? You are also talking to one of the biggest John Henson fans who they actually need someone else them. though. It's not even like Tom Akers. You're just going to get destroyed if you have him. Giannis I, as your. I agree. Well, with Jason Kidd as their coach, it doesn't matter who they get. They'll never go anywhere. So, uh, You mentioned Tyreek Evans to the Spurs before. I would love for the Spurs to just change everything about themselves and make it. No, change. no. Okay, my dream trade 
this isn't like realistic at all, but somehow Mike Conley gets on the Spurs. Oh my God. Oh, that I, contract that is a why that sounds like a nightmare i guess you're giving up patty mills in the process sure. yeah yeah uh patty mills pal gasol kyle anderson that's it because his contract not that good but, but popovich would just make him amazing i can't I, again that would be so out of if the spurs were to make a move mid-season this might be the year just because you still care about now and like you don't know your wing situation is kind of uncertain with the way quiet leonard's been injured this year and Kyle Anderson's value is the highest it will ever be right now. Yes, that is true. And he's going to be a restricted free agent, so having uh, the option to match anything that he receives might be worth something to some team. Do the Knicks – here's the question, uh, for, I guess for my own benefit. Will the Knicks become sellers, or are they more likely to do something stupid at the deadline? Something stupid, definitely. I definitely. thought – so Nate Duncan mentioned this on the dunk down a couple weeks back as them being a suitor for Kemba Walker, and I didn't think – I'm not – saying that he was stupid for saying it but he mentioned that you'd have to give up neil keenan any deal for kem but i'm just like i'm just all no that'd be that. stupid that'd be yeah. stupid i agree so, but they to me they are more likely to do something they're even more likely to do something dumb than stan pat in my mind like right the now, the only trade that would make sense for them is is courtney lee but who's gonna want courtney lee so everybody should want courtney lee i love courtney lee indianapolis native but uh no one wants courtney lee right now um no i'm feel like that would be false courtney lee is on a pretty good contract and shooting well from three he showcased some nice playmaking um when he's given the opportunity i'd be interested to see if they could package him and lance thomas together in a deal maybe you take back a bad contract and you're getting a first round pick and then all of a sudden the tank is on kylo quinn probably also holds some value but they i do not believe that they will be um sellers even though they should be very they should. I agree, but they won't be. They'll do something dumb. Um, so last question before we wrap it up. Do the Lakers do anything at the trade deadline? Uh, if they do, the league should be very afraid <laughs> because that means they know something we don't. But I don't think so unless they can get a quality pick for Clarkson or Randall. No one else makes sense to trade yet. Do you even – like is getting a pick for Randall uh, – not Randall. Uh, well, you're not getting a pick for Randall. But is even getting something of real value for Clarkson like on the priority scale? Like wouldn't you just want to – are we past the – like they want more than just getting off his money? The deal I came up with was trade him to Orlando uh, with Zubak for Mario Hazonia and Shelvin Mack. And, like, I saw that trade. It's not bad. It's not bad. That is your go-to compliment. I think – so who's more likely to That's... go for the Lakers, Randall or Clarkson? More likely to go, definitely Clarkson. I mean, they're being like the biggest losers ever by not starting Randall just to avoid the starter criteria um, match level. But yeah, it's definitely Clarkson. I think they're trying to do what they can to keep Randall's value at a certain point for a reason. I am with you. Um, unless you have anything else you want to add, I think that that's just a good spot to end. We really we hit, we covered some serious ground today. We did. I think uh, the Pacers are going to try to trade Thaddeus Young, and they won't be able to. And that's all I have to say about them and their trades. Um, Thaddeus <laughs> Young would be interesting on a good team. You know I'm a Thaddeus Young guy. Also, the Pistons, are they going to do anything? That, they're like – They so, can't. They're hard well, they can't. They can't. They, they can't, but like they're they're all they seem like to be that all talk team, and yet you know they have made moves in the past midseason, like getting Reggie Jackson or getting Tobias Harris. But everything lately just seems like all talk stuff. Yeah, they're stuck unless they trade Avery Bradley, and then they'll get worse. So, um, packaging Avery Bradley and Stanley Johnson together might get them in some interesting trade talks. Um, yeah, yeah, an expiring contract and a guy that I don't believe in would not get me in anywhere, but. Uh, Stanley Johnson's still a good <laughs> defender, though, and what he can do against some fours is probably valuable somewhere. St the Spurs, the report last year that they wanted him, he would be interesting there just because it's the Spurs. 
Yes, anyone on the Spurs interests me. Joffrey Laverne is not terrible there, so. Giving job they gave Joffrey Laverne a player option, right? That was one of the weirder things. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I'm looking at it right now, and they they did not give him. They just gave him straight out to. I'm actually on the Spurs team salary page, and the Kings one came up, so that's uh that's <laughs> awkward. Um, anyway, the Spurs are the Spurs are you are right? They're always interesting. I'm moving to another. Salary page. Yafi Lavernier has a player he option does. for next year. That is not – that was weird. I can't believe I didn't know that. Uh, Rudy Gay could feasibly opt out. That's something that is – I did not foresee. He, I just don't think he will. 8.8 .8 million in the full MLE from last summer's a lot, but at the same time, he's been good enough. Yeah, he's he's a good player. But they, they're they weird. They're weirdly constructed next year. We'll have to see what they do with Tony Parker. Uh, yeah, that's gonna. They'll, it'll be interesting summer for them, but we'll be able to talk about that on another pod. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on, particularly last minute when uh, Andy needed to pivot. So we were both very thankful. This was super fun. Um, if you want to follow Tony East on Twitter and yell at him for calling Kemba Walker a putrid defender, you can find him at T East NBA, spelled exactly like it sounds. Again, he covers the Indiana Pacers for the West Indianapolis Community News. He hosts a Locked On Pacers podcast. I've listened to that a bunch of times. You should definitely check it out. He's a co-expert over at 8.9 seconds. He writes for NBA Math and Def Pen Hoops as well. Uh, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Favale. That's F-A-V-A-L-E. You can follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey. Please follow NBA Math at NBA underscore math. And give Hardwood Knox a follow at Hardwood Knox. Finally, we would just want to remind you, encourage you, beg you, implore you to go to iTunes and give us a rating, subscription, and reviews are appreciated as well. We love when those go up. We appreciate any feedback. And if you are able to just take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day um, and give us that five-star review, we will be eternally in your debt and we'll never forget it. Until next time. I will not be giving a shout-out to a certain you-know-who, but I will be giving a shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.